An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back. We are here with part two of Oscar Pistorius, episode 15. We're back, y'all! I'm back. Thank you all for those who've checked out episode number 15, part one. We are sorry we had to split this into two pieces, but it had to be done because it was a little long. We had got to a little do carried it. away. It's Valentine's Day. Hey, little ho. We've been drinking a little bit, <laughs> y'all. But thank you for checking us out, and we're so excited to get started with part number two. So, Matt, take it off. I think initially I just froze. I didn't really know what to do. I heard this noise. I interpreted it as being somebody was climbing into the bathroom. There's no door between... The bathroom and my room, it's all one. There's a passageway, but there's no door. There's a toilet door, but there's no barrier between me and the bathroom. It's it's one one room. I immediately thought that um, somebody, if they were at the window to where the passage, entrance of the passage was, could be four, three, four meters. They could be there at any moment. And the first the first thing that ran through my mind was that I needed to arm myself, that I needed to protect Reva and I, that I needed to get my gun. Reva Stonkamp was recorded driving her Mini Cooper through the massive gates of Silverwood's country estate. Silverwood's country estate, like we talked about a little bit when we were talking about Oscar, when he started to have seeming, it's seemingly paranoia set in, where he would go to the gun range in the middle of the night after not being able to sleep, like that's a little, like it's kind of bizarre behavior. Thinking he was going to be burglarized yeah. or something, so, right? South Africa was known at this time. I don't know. Still, I'm not going to speak on that because we love our South African listeners. South Africa. And I'd love to visit, but anyway, we love you, South Africa. It was noted that this this um, gated community type of thing was very safe. I mean, he was really, really rich. He's one of the biggest celebrities yeah, in South he's Africa. Yeah, he was a star. I mean, this was this guy was a well-known very, celebrity. Very, very rich. So you have to think, this is like the Calabasas of South Africa. Like, gated communities everywhere. You can't gain anything. Hollywood Hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was where we're going to end up someday. Amen to that. Note me on that, bitch. Note me on that. I'm going I'm to point to episode, what, number 15 on that one. Yep. Just kidding, but seriously, like we're moving to California, both of us wanted, so that's the goal. It's gonna happen, and we're gonna live like fucking kings and queens. All right, so like I said, I want that to be known. South Africa was seemingly a place rid of a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of crime, um, but the community that he specifically lived in was a community revered as being safe. They only had three. No, they only had two breach security issues in all of their time being a community. One house was burglarized four years before the incident happened, and a robbery occurred in 2011 that caused the development to increase its security procedures considerably. So at this point, where Oscar lived was very, 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 very safe. Not only were they safe before the increased security, but... After these few little indiscretions, they really, really tightened the security on this area. So it's not like he was living in the slums of South Africa where he was constantly attacked. That's not the case at all. 
Just remember that because that will come up in every argument about this case ever. The Silverwoods website calls it a solid and electrified security wall because it currently has a wall around its, its community, which was there during this time. And it seemed so safe that on the evening of the incident, or I would call it murder, the Storius was sleeping with his balcony open. Remember that. That is very important. And with that, we'd like to have a little word from our sponsors, Studio Sweden. Studio Sweden, we love y'all. Your sound quality is better than anything I've ever heard, and we would love to give a shout-out to their particular product, the Regent Blacks, which I have been rocking the hell out of. You can see Lisa looking beautiful in. You have to take a picture, and I'll take a fucking post today, told you. I know, I need to. Model behavior, baby. Model behavior, bitch. They're amazing. Lisa posted a pic looking fire in them, and I honestly have to And my wig. And my wig. But they are awesome. The sound quality is killer. They are great for anything on the go or in your just relaxing mode, chilling at your house. You can't beat the sound quality, honestly. If you want to drown out the world, you guys know where to go. Studio, use the code I for an I as your 15% discount. We'd love to get you guys not only using Studio's products, but rocking us through them and playing your favorite podcast back through Studios Products, Region Black, shout out. We look good. <laughs> we look good. I love that part. Thank you so much, Studio. We love you. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast today. We love you. At 4 a.m. on February 14th, which is why I chose this case, because it's literally... Taking place on this day. Taking place today. Shout out to everybody in love, y'all. We love y'all. <laughs> Thank you. And shout out to everybody who's not, because we're not, and we're having a great time enjoying ourselves. Talking about murder. Drinking a lot of wine. Drinking wine. Talking about murder. Talking about murder. Yeah. So, at 4 a.m. on February 14th, so Valentine's Day, Detective Hilton Botha. I'm going to stop talking like that, but I can't help it. Sometimes it comes out. It's all right. Who is a 24-year veteran of the South African Police Service, who will come up a little bit in this, because he was in a lot of articles I read about it. Like I said, all of our sources, I don't think I've actually ever said this, but all of our sources are in the notes. We're not experts on any of these by any means. We research them. Uh, Wikipedia, we admittedly, we use that. We use CNN articles, ABC articles, BBC articles. We I'll use them all. I literally look at every article I possibly can from every side, angle, you know, every piece of this. I'm going to have the full story, YouTube. Folks. We have Oscar speaking himself that's going to be played a little bit through here, which you've already heard at the top of the show. You're going to hear throughout the show. I, I go through everything. So we're not, we're always quoting somebody else. Like, obviously, we didn't research these from talking to Oscar himself. Just so you guys know from here on out, I think that's I would just expected. like to point out, duh. Yeah, like, uh, like, of course. So just in case anyone wanted to know where our sources come from, they're always in the show notes. Always. So, this police officer, Officer Botha, was awakened by a phone call from his colonel. And the colonel said, which, first of all, fuck that word. Fuck that word because it's spelled colonial and it's pronounced colonel. That is the most confusing shit on the planet Earth and I'm over it. Colonel Mustard, I thought, was spelled K-E-R-N-A-L. To find out, it was spelled C-O-L-N-E-L. Fuck that. 
I spelled it wrong still. C L C O L O N E L. That's bullshit. That does not spell colonel. That spells colonial. Just say it like in this. In any world. Just say it like this. Colonel. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It sounds so dumb, but colonel. <laughs> And colonel and a, like a baby accent and right. colonel and the That's colonial. That's exactly what Do you, colonel. I hate you. Get us. I am serious but though. That's how like, I read it, and that's how I learned the it. The fucking ignorant ass people who think everybody in America should speak American English, fucking haven't seen the word colonial. Y'all are idiots, dog. Or colonel. Y'all is dumb for sure. For sure. I'm a dumbass because I've I've pronounced that word colonial my whole life. Stop. Anyways, <laughs> Oscar. So he received a phone call from his colonel saying Oscar shot his girlfriend. Now at that point, everybody knew who Oscar was. Oscar is the only Oscar who is famous, that famous, in South Africa. He's an Olympian athlete, gold medal, medal winner. You know the whole works. He was he was big time in his country. This dude's important. So of course, Officer Bothell, Both Botha. Botha. Of, Officer Botha went to the crime scene because this is one he was investigating. And he said one of the first things he saw when he walked in the door was the body of Reva Steinkamp, who is a beautiful blonde 29-year-old model and reality TV star, which we'll get into in a second because she was. She had just finished filming a show, a reality, like a Survivor-like series that was set to air like that week, who had been shot three times by presumably Pistorius, her boyfriend, of four months. Four fucking months. That's it. Four months they'd been together. So he noted that there was a lot of blood and that he saw the body at the bottom of the staircase covered in towels. Minutes after the shooting, Pistorius had phoned the manager of the gated community, asking him to call an ambulance. He carried Steinkamp down the staircase from the bathroom, which is where this all took place, which we'll find out in a second. And... I think it's Steenkamp. If you're right, Steen Camp. I'm not trying to be like an asshole, but like Steen Camp. I well, YOLO. So then he carried <laughs> Steen Camp down the staircase. They probably say it differently too because they're fucking South African. Oh, I just love your explanation for that. That was perfect. YOLO. Then he carried Steen Camp down the staircase from the bathroom, and it was noted that her head and her arms were dangling. So she was clearly deceased at that point. Very much. In, he, in bad shape. Because yeah, he, he in the bathrooms where she was shot, he carried her down the stairs and yeah. he reported her heads and her heads. How many heads does she have? Her head and arms were dangling. So, and then he laid her on the floor. He reportedly gave her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and someone attempted to tie a tourniquet around her arm to stop the blood from bleeding from one of the gunshot wounds. He said she was still breathing and making a gurgling sound. But a doctor who had rushed over from his nearby house said, there's head wounds. It's not going to help. And then she stopped breathing. So a doctor that was a neighbor of Oscar's came over to the house where all of this went down and was basically like, it's kind of useless. This is not going to end well. Um, she's very seriously injured. It's, it's, this is it. The detective stepped around the corpse and went up the marble staircase to the master bedroom, which is where everything took place an hour earlier. The crime scene was actually the bathroom. It was a large and sweet bathroom with a shower, two wash basins, a toilet cubicle, which is very typical for European and the like style bathrooms, 
the door of which was riddled with bullet holes. So the bathroom cubicle door was where the bullet holes were. Right. So he, so whoever the shooter was was physically in the bathroom, but the, the toilet was in a separate room, and that's where the bullet holes were. Mm-hmm. It had been bashed open with a cricket bat, by who we later to find out be Pastorius, who claimed that he had broken it down after realizing Reva was locked inside. The bloodied cricket bat was on the bathroom floor along with two cell phones and a 9mm parabola pistol. And this story was inconsistent. I'd like to point that out. Well, yeah, well, what he said happened. Is That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Oscar's story was inconsistent. Yeah, like the evidence... Was kind Very of, much he, obvious. He explained it so the evidence made sense, but it didn't make enough sense for what happened. Right. So there's a theory of how Steen Camp may have been cowering in the toilet, a cubicle that was measured four and a half by three and a half feet with her arms crossed, which would account for why one bullet had gone through her fingers before entering her arm. Another bullet struck her right above the ear and another hit her hip. To go over really quickly what happened, basically what Oscar said was that he woke up in the middle of the night and he heard a noise coming from the bathroom. It sounded like his bathroom door was open. So he was freaking out, thinking there was a robbery going on. According to Oscar, this is what Oscar said. He said that he believed someone was breaking into his home because he heard a window open in his bathroom. He called out for Riva to tell her to call 911, get down. He, according to him, assumed she was in bed next to him, grabbed his gun, went around the corner, kept hearing noises in his bathroom, and was afraid for his life and shot, shot out, shot shots. You telling me he thought she was in bed with him? Yep, yeah, that's what he said. This is his version of events, right? So that's he what said, I'm saying, though. She. He thought she was in bed with him. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And we'll see. There's a lot diff- Like, there's a lot of different things here um, in play. But this is what he said. This is his version of events. Shot. Still calling out for Riva as he was shooting, saying, Riva, call the police. Call the police. What are you doing? Call the police. Someone's here. They're attacking us. Call the police. Didn't get a response from Riva. Looked over, I'm guessing. And I don't remember, like, what this part was. But I think he looked and saw that she was not in bed. I think he heard something from behind the door that he was shooting at, realized it was Riva, grabbed his cricket bat, broke down the door, and realized, okay, Riva's sitting there. Yep. Dead, pretty much. Then he carried her downstairs, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of things don't add up here, and we're going to get into that in a second. But that's what his version of events where He thought there was an intruder, kind of willy-nilly shot at the door, thinking he was going to get whoever, first of all, if someone's robbing your house, why the fuck would they hide in a closed bathroom? But anyways... And why are you shooting into the bathroom? Yeah. It's like, what? So, that's what he said happened. And to note, a woman is killed by her husband, her boyfriend, or the same-sex partner in South Africa the most often. It happens every eight hours in South Africa where intimate femicide is the country's leading cause of violent deaths of women. That's crazy to me. So... That is a very, very, very common, unfortunate, common theme in South Africa. Husbands and, boy- and boyfriends or same-sex partners kill their loved ones. That is the biggest yeah. cause of death in South Africa, and it happens every eight hours. 
From now to the time this podcast comes out, that statistic is scary. It's scary. Just think about that. That's like six people. We're recording this on Valentine's Day. When this comes out, do the math. Six people will die probably between now and the time this is released. In South Africa, yeah. From from a, a partner. So it was just them in the house. And according to the security registers, she had been staying there for two to three days. So his excuse that him not realizing that someone could be in the house just like so randomly thinking that someone was breaking in was kind of null and void because he had to have been used to her by then. There was no forced entry. So he knew she was in his house. He's saying he heard, he thought she was next, he thought she was next to him in bed and he heard someone coming through the, through the bathroom. But why would your first thought when you hear rustling and bustling in your bathroom be... Oh, it's an intruder. Wouldn't you physically fucking check? Right? Yeah. Well, your partner you reach over, I'm saying. My first thought would be, oh, my girlfriend's I'm, in the bathroom. Right. I'm reaching my arm over and reaching for her and saying, where are you? So then I'm determining what's okay, and I'm getting up. Yeah. So that's one hole in the story. Especially because, especially in break-ins, you would think the first thing the significant other would do is to get that partner and make sure they're safe. Right. Make sure they're not leaving the room sure and, and exploring, okay. you know, make sure that they're there. So the only place that there could have been an entrance was the open bathroom window, which we said in the top of this part of the episode that Oscar left his window open that night. Clearly, he was not in fear of an intruder. Right, yeah, he if was he was, he probably enough. would have closed the window. Yeah, because he was comfortable enough to leave the window open I just also, bathroom. I'd also like to point out, living in one of the safest communities in the entire country, okay? Yep. He wasn't living in a place where he was likely suspecting somebody to come and break in that night. This was a very safe, gated community. Yeah. But like we said, Oscar was showing signs of paranoia. Right, from, he was. From lack of sleep Waking up in the middle of the night, caffeine health. addiction, right. So that, that very well can be a part of this. Witnesses, so his neighbors, said they heard a lady scream, and then they heard bullet shots fired, and then they heard a scream again, and another few shots fired, which would indicate to anyone in the world that he heard whoever was behind that door the second he fired the first shot, but continued shooting. So keep that in mind. Right. So Pistorius, in a bloody shirt and shorts, wearing his prosthetic legs, mind you, this is important as well, was sitting on a gym bench surrounded by training equipment in his garage when the detectives were in his house. He had his head in his hands and he was crying. There was blood on him, but his hands were clean. The detectives brought up washing his hands, asking him about it, why were his hands clean after all of this, if he claimed he was giving her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, if he was trying to get her back to life, if he was trying to, you know, care for her. And he said yes, because they were full of blood. So the evidence seemed to indicate intentional murder. Now, we'll get into that here in a second. The questions detectives had were, why would a burglar lock himself in a bathroom cubicle? Why in the world would you confine yourself to a small space if you were intentionally in a house to burgle or harm someone? Why would the victim be shot through her shorts if she was using the toilet in the middle of the night? Because the trajectory of the bullet was not did not make sense with what Oscar's story, story was. And why would she have taken her cell phone into the bathroom at 3 a.m.? She had her cell phone with her. Now, unsupported media speculation would swirl that Riva had received a text or a tweet from a South African rugby star, Francois, Francois, 
Francis Hugard, a previous boyfriend, and then that may have ignited Pistorius' rage. That is speculation, but that has seemed to be an idea for why this would happen. That wasn't him thinking the burglar was in there. He was enraged. He was jealous, which we saw on the top of the show with his text messages. That that is a thing that was common. He was jealous of people she talked to, especially of the opposite sex. So it was thought to that she was texting her ex, and he figured it out and shot her dead, is what the theory is. Now, the bullets had struck her on her right side, which meant that she was not sitting on the toilet, but probably crouching behind the locked door, which also raises some questions, because why was she crouching, hiding in the position? Why was she, it seemed as she was hiding. You know, the door was shut and locked, the bathroom door. She had locked it from the inside. She locked it, and she's crouched behind the door which would indicate to any sane person or any reasonable person that she was in fear. She closed the door and locked it and crouched behind it as in a hiding maneuver. From the location of the bullet casings in the bathroom, the detective believed that Pistorius had fired the door, fired at the door from less than five feet away, which would also indicate that he was kind of chasing her into the bathroom, is what the theory would be, is that he was upset and he chased her into the bathroom. By standing straight and imagining pointing a gun at the door, the bullet holes would be slanted down, which would indicate that Pistorius had been wearing his prosthetic legs, not as he would later claim that he was on his stumps. So he claimed during all of this he had just ran out of bed and immediately went in to check it out and started firing out of fear. Whereas the argument of the defense was that he took the time to strap on his legs, which means he would have the time to check if Riva was sitting next to him, put on his stumps, walk over, grab the gun, go over to the bathroom, make those shots. He claimed he was on his stumps, was awoken suddenly, and ran over to the, you know, and he acted as if it happened very fast. Whereas right. evidence indicated the height of the trajectory of the bullets into the, into the cubicle of the toilet would not indicate he was on his stumps. It would, it would be a full height person, a six foot tall person, would have made these shots because the trajectory was not right for someone who was, what, four foot tall without his legs? And he actually later added, no one is safe in South Africa. They don't just come in and tie you up and rob you of your assets. They denigrate you in front of your family. They rape your wife and urinate over your children and shoot the man in the back of the head and leave the kids without a father. So here's a kid who hasn't got legs. He hears noises in the house, has his girlfriend in his home, and straight away goes into full combat mode and panics. Thinks, I've got to protect this girl. That's the only way I think it could have happened to this poor kid. Yeah, and that was said by someone that Pistorius kind of considers his uncle. It didn't really say if it was actually his uncle or not, but that's a, it's an interesting take. But it's like, okay, South Africa may be dangerous, but you live in the fucking safest part of South Africa in the whole fucking country. So that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. So... That's the defense that his family is giving for him, saying he was nervous, he was on edge. He knows that his part of South Africa is the most high... Security, safe, no issues with anybody yeah, robbing Yeah, it's like him. you would know moving in there that you're safe. You wouldn't be that scared. And if he was sleeping with his balcony open, which is what the report said, clearly he wasn't that scared because that's right. fucking your welcoming in. Yeah, like come on in. So it's interesting that his, his uncle... It, it's. He has a family that really has rallied behind him, which we'll see here. And that is a quote from someone who he considers to be an uncle. I'm, like I said, I'm not sure if it's actually his uncle. 
But he did acknowledge that he shot Steinkamp four times, causing her death, but said he mistook her for a possible intruder. However, like I've said before, vict- uh, victims, uh, witnesses heard her scream after the first shot, which would indicate he had to have heard it too, which would indicate the last three shots would have been him hearing her scream and and presumably knowing it was a female girl behind the doors, only female girl in his house, is Riva, his girlfriend, shooting through. So it, it, point, it throws holes in there. Now, the detective remembered the first time he had arrested Pistorius. So Pistorius, like we said, had a little bit of a history of being like a little snob, had a short temper. He was on these caffeine pills, really hyped up. And apparently he, in September of 2009 allegedly slammed a door on a woman named Cassidy Taylor Memory during a party at his home in Silverwoods County Estate. At the police station, they noted that he reportedly signed autographs and posed for photographs for infatuated officers. So the officers that were booking him on this charge of assaulting a woman were so excited that a famous athlete was in their prison that they were kind of hyping him up even more. And... The case was quickly dropped, and Pistorius sued Taylor Memory for $22 million, which was $2.5 million at the uh, Rand, which is their equivalency um, currency, which is $2.5 million U.S., claiming his arrest had caused him to lose sponsors. So she countersued him. Taylor countersued him and said... You know what, fuck yourself. No, fuck you. You fucking assaulted me. No, I don't give a fuck that you're losing soldiers. You should. Sponsors, you should. And neither side budged for years, but several weeks after Riva's killing, Pistorius reportedly withdrew his claim against Taylor and entered into a settlement negotiations. And I'm wondering if that was to kind of take the spotlight off of that, if he didn't want to deal with it anymore. I'm not really sure where that came from, but it definitely seems somewhere of uh, trying to hide that past. So, Matt, let's get into the trial. So, we know that Oscar's story heard an intruder come into the house through the bathroom window, which he admittedly left open, was nervous, thought he told Riva to call 911, apparently assumed she was in bed with him, went around the corner, shot through the cubicle, realized it was Riva, broke down the door, and tried to resuscitate her. Uh, evidence shows he clearly thought out the actions that took place that day. Seems like she was texting someone he was jealous or unhappy with, got into an argument. She ran into the bathroom to hide from him. He came and followed her with his gun and shot her dead. Those are the two arguments. So let's get into the trial, Matt. Let's dive in. This one was a world. Yeah. This this one is something that I've never seen. We're talking about this at the top of the show. I've never seen this happen. In well, the before. only case I'd compare this to would be something like OJ, where it was a high-profile athlete, the trial of the century, where people were talking about this in the media, in the sports world, in the pop culture in general world. It was just a huge case. So the case itself began on March 3rd of 2014 in Pretoria, South Africa, and a week later, on May 20th, 2014, the trial proceedings were adjourned until June 30th to enable Pistorius to undergo psychiatric evaluation to establish whether or not he could be held criminally responsible for shooting Riva Steenkamp. And Judge Thokazil Masipa agreed to a request for the evaluation by Prosecutor Jerry Nell. 
after forensic psychiatrist Meryl Vorster testified that the defense that she had diagnosed Pistorius with generalized anxiety disorder. And what that is is basically saying that somebody under Pistorius's condition could not handle their exact life as they were because that the stress was too much, it overwhelmed him, and that it became too much of a process for him to go through daily life because of his overwhelming fame and celebrity. And it's actually a common diagnosis among a lot, a lot of celebrities. It's why so many of them are on mood relaxers, muscle relaxers, things of that nature. So on June 30th, 2014, the trial resumed after the evaluation reported that Pistorius could actually be held criminally responsible. Uh, the state prosecutor was actually quoted as saying, Mr. Pistorius did not suffer from a mental illness or defect that would have rendered him criminally not responsible for the offense charged. So the defense closed its case as shortly afterwards on July 8th, and closing arguments were heard on the 7th and 8th of August. So this actually was a relatively quick trial, about a month and a half, roughly, with all every, everything considered, all testimony heard, everything having been presented in evidence. And on the 12th of September of that year, Oscar Pistorius was found guilty of culpable homicide and one firearm-related charge of reckless endangerment related to discharging a firearm in a restaurant. So this did go really fast. Quick trial. As far as trials go. Um, but it's interesting. Keep in mind this first verdict on September 12th because things are about to get wild. <laughs> it gets a this lot more This trial went in, in like a roller coaster formation, really. Right. It was not I don't, quick. I didn't know it was a thing. It actually has changed our perspective on what the U.S. criminal court is like because honestly, it's like, wow, I didn't realize that you could do all this. Mm hmm. Culpable homicide is defined in South Africa, by the way, as the unlawful negligent killing of a human being, which is basically the roughly equivalent of involuntary manslaughter in American law. Uh, so reckless endangerment, which we consider to be something such as putting person's life in danger for the purpose of either an act to kill them or not to, it's just either way putting someone's life in danger. A person committing a crime of reckless endangerment would be somebody in conduct who creates a substantial risk of physical injury to another person. Reckless conduct is conduct that exhibits a culpable disregard of foreseeable consequences to others from the act or omission involved. So basically just acting like a dumbass and you're not you're disregarding the fact that this could result in someone dying or being seriously injured. Correct. So the law definition of that is something that basically would say that you did something foolish to the point that it could have caused someone's death, and it ultimately did. But it's not necessarily intentional. Right. Not necessarily intentional. Which, with a gun, I feel like that's a slippery slope. Yeah, you're carrying a gun, gun and you fired it into... Right. To kill. Whether it's food or protection or for killing, it's me to kill. So I don't Why know do how you have that the was gun? even fought right. as culpable. Like, I don't understand that. Because I, I feel like the weapon itself would prove that's inaccurate, but right. that's just me. Well, the ultimate question is whether, under all circumstances, the accused conduct was of heedless nature, something that totally disregarded the person's life that they were jeopardizing that made it imminently dangerous or to the rights of other people, something that could have inhibited on other people being safe or living. That's what I don't understand. It's like a gun, like a, like that's... 
yeah, where do you draw the line? He's he's firing a gun into a closed door. Like, come on. You were yeah. trying to kill whoever was behind that door, whether it be an intruder or your You girlfriend. knew the gun could result in death. Right. So I think that's ultimately what they decided. He was found not guilty of two firearms-related charges relating to illegal possession of ammunition and firing a sh- firearm through the sunroof of a car. Um, but ultimately, obviously, found guilty of the more important charge of murder. And on October 21st of 2014, he received a prison sentence of a maximum of five years for culpable homicide and a concurrent three-year suspended prison sentence for the separate reckless endangerment conviction. So let's go over that. The first conviction was he was found guilty, and he was sentenced to five years. Five years. Five years. Five years. What? So let's just keep that in mind. Let's keep going. Yeah. Let's, Five let's, years first first go around. Right. So his prison term was initially only five years for murder, and his brother Carl told a South African weekly newspaper that his brother did not receive any special privileges during Which his first six weeks. I'm sure person. he did. Let's be fucking real. He was the most renowned fucking right. Olympian. Right. He was exactly. in jail. So he was incarcerated for about 17 hours a day in his cell and was allowed one hour of outdoor exercise and one hour in the weight room. And he didn't have a private bathroom, but he was given a stool to use in the communal shower that was his like, alone. Like, boo fucking who, you big piece of shit. You should, you should be put in a hole at that point. Right. It's it's absolutely like, what? pathetic. Bitch, not special privileges. Privileges. He had his own fucking little hole right. to poop in. His own bathroom in the prison bathroom. So okay. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, feel like, for you, bro. Like that's probably even better than having one in your cell. You're like literally, like, oh, sorry, this is Oscar's toilet. You can right. use it. And his brother even tried to, you know, give him some credit. Say he tried to initiate a basketball program in the hospital, which also pisses me off. They should not be allowed. Right. Fucking, if you're creating, creating, if you commit a crime that results in someone's death. Goodbye to your rights. Goodbye to you! <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, so... <clears throat> in June 2015, Pistorius was recommended for early release. As early as August. Why? I'm not fucking sure. I think he was just doing well for the prison. Apparently he was a model citizen in the prison, which like, we could kind of understand, but... Like, I don't know, it still goes to the point, like, is prison for punishment or for rehabilitation? And I think it's a slippery slope. Some people I want to be punished in prison, some people I'm like, yeah, they could be rehabilitated. They you never that. really can tell, but it's tough to say up front whether or not somebody deserves the opportunity. Yeah, and we'll definitely discuss that at some point in other shows. Yes. So, South African Commissioner of Correctional Services, Zach Mordice, told the BBC of the decision by the Case Management Committee at the Koski Maparu to prison in Pretoria, <clears throat> where Pistorius was being held under South African law. He is eligible for release under correctional supervision, in air quotes, having served a sixth of his sentence. Yeah. So, one-sixth of his prison term, his release date would have been the 21st of August, 2015. Now, that release was based on good behavior and the fact that he wasn't considered a danger to the community. Well, we don't personally believe that. Yeah, you hear Elisa choking on that. I don't believe that for sure, to be honest with you. Because he was 
known to be volatile. Right. I mean, I don't think... And under circumstances, like, yeah, granted, he's not the most... I don't know if he'd necessarily kill more people if he'd go out and go on a murder rampage. Right. But I don't think he's safe for future girlfriends. Well, he's not the most low-profile person in the world. He can't exactly keep a low profile in South Africa. But are you telling me that you're not worried about him being on the streets? Yeah. I I personally don't believe that for a second. We're back! We never left. (laughs) We never stopped. Well, no, technically I kept recording. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> we a little dimly. <laughs> we drank too much. Pastorius was expected to remain under house arrest and correctional supervision while he was paroled and was expected to perform community service as part of his continuing sentence. So he was actually given this time but allowed to live at home. And regardless of his release from prison, he could not ever return to any official athletic competition until the whole five years of his sentence was complete. So on August 9th, I'm sorry, August 19th of 2015, his release was actually unexpectedly blocked by South Africa's Justice Minister Michael Masutha. This is where shit kind of hits the fan. Yeah, it got a little little trippy here. According to Masutha, the parole board's decision was for early release was premature. And legal experts noted that the move was likely due to political pressure and had implications for other cases pending early release. He was eventually released from prison on October 19th of 2015. On November 4th, 2014, prosecutors applied to the sentencing judge for permission to appeal the culpable homicide verdict, stating that the five-year prison term was actually shockingly light, inappropriate, and would not have been imposed by any reasonable court. So, Judge Thokazil Masipa ruled on December 10th, 2014 that the prosecution could actually challenge her ruling of acquitting Pistorius for premeditated murder and convicting him of the lesser charge of culpable homicide. However, she ruled that the state could not appeal the length of the sentence. So he was sentenced to five years, and they agreed that while the culpable homicide charge could not could be challenged, the sentence itself of five years could not be. So the case was then set for appeal in front of a five-person panel at the Supreme Court of Appeal. The date for the prosecutors to submit court papers outlining their arguments was set for August 17, 2015, and the date for the defense response was September 17th. Shout out, that's my birthday. Hey. Hey. 2015. <laughs> what, what up, that? Emily? Why did we just howl? Uh, Werewolves in London. Oh my god. Nice, dude. Good shit. Good song. Great song. The prosecutor's argument rested actually on Judge Masipa's application of the legal principle of dolus eventualis, whether an accused did actually foresee the outcome of their actions rather than whether he or she should have. I'd like to apply that here especially because I think that's so interesting in the fact that Firing a gun, a loaded gun, into a locked door where you assume somebody's behind it, and assuming that you wouldn't kill the person, where did you think you were getting off with that? I'm sorry, I don't understand the premise behind that. So it doesn't. It really doesn't make sense, and it also doesn't make sense that he kept claiming he asked Rena Riva to call nine one one. And that he thought she was nice. I'm like, bitch, you would know if she was behind you. You would think she was with you the or behind you. The first fucking thing you grab in an emergency is your significant other, your dogs, maybe some money. <laughs> right, money and your wallet and your phone. Like, that's it. 
And like Dolus Eventualis is actually my fish, my your fish and Peanut and Sasha and like Dolus Eventualis, like I said, is actually a relevant in American law too. It's a relevant law because it, I'm sorry, it's a relevant term in American law because it shows that whether or not you could actually foresee what was going to happen, you have to have the idea that your actions are in somehow reflected in what you do. I feel like a lot of law contradicts itself. Well, the consequences of what you do have like, to be reflected. Because, like, mental instability in this, like, obviously are different because one is one and the other is the other. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely. The whole thing of mental illness is whether or not you understood at the time of the crime that you committed a crime but then like what the fuck is this then isn't that the same fucking thing how could you not foresee your what tell me this Matt Mm. what fucking case could you not actually foresee the outcome of your actions if you have a gun in your fucking hands one of those outcomes in your brain is death yeah you're firing that gun into a locked door like, like so what what would what kind of what kind of sentence would be this. Appropriate for that. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand how anybody How could, could anyone not that. foresee their fucking actions? Like, okay, maybe like beating someone to death? Would Even then, right? though, like, what are you assuming that without attempting to harm someone, you weren't going to harm someone? Well, like, I guess there's like a hypothetical, like, I want to beat him to death in the, like, a. Well, I mean, I guess you could say him. I was protecting my house and I thought, but at the same time, Apparently then you're not also when you're claiming. Byron. Well, that was Byron. You're also claiming that you killed your girlfriend and you thought your girlfriend was with you, but you were protecting your house at the same time. I don't understand. Well, you that. didn't fucking check because clearly your girlfriend was with you. You killed her. Yeah, she was with you, quote unquote, with you. It's just confusing because it's just like there's so many. And that's the hard thing about the law because it makes sense why there would be so many like little, little baby like angles and little divots to every little bit of the law, but it makes it hard because it's like, how do, why? Why? Okay. Oh, man. Okay. But seriously. So, the date for appealing the hearing was set for November 2015. November. November. 2015. Fifteen. The prosecutor's argument rested on Judge Masiba's application of the legal principle of dolus eventualis. Fuck it all. And like we said, that so is relevant even in U.S. law. So wait, let's get this straight. That is whether... Isn't that the same fucking thing as mental culpability? That's mens rea, exactly. Assuming that your mental capacity, assume knowing what you were doing was going to cause something to happen, something negative to happen, like death in this case. If you have a gun, what do you think is going to fucking happen? Right, exactly. So, how could any fucking sane lawyer be like, "Yeah, this makes sense"? Defense. The appeal was heard on November third, two thousand fifteen, <laughs> and it was actually held. These cases in South Africa are held before five Supreme Court judges, and by unanimous decision, they overturned Pistorius's culpable homicide conviction and found him guilty of murder in the death of Reeves. So Dean it went Kemp. up. If exactly, they increased the charge. Right, yeah. They literally put his charge like from five years. That's significant because they upped the charge there, exactly. Which, so. We talked about this, Matt and I talked about this before we recorded. We didn't know that could happen. I mean, like, we knew, so I knew that you could get more charges if they found out more stuff or if, like, you fucked up in prison, that adds charges, or if you're an asshole, 
that, that and if you charged. mess up in prison, exactly, you can be charged. But I didn't know they could charge you for more after you've already been charged for blank, and they up that charge for you. I didn't know that. I really didn't. Did yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that either, that after the fact you could be retried for more charges and have that eventually be a negative <laughs> for you, that somebody could charge you with more crimes after the fact. So, the panel of five judges found for the prosecutor's argument that Pistorius must have known that somebody would die if he fired the closet door through the door. <laughs> the panel of five judges found for the prosecutor's argument that Pistorius must have known that someone would die if he fired through the closed door into the small closet toilet cubicle. So, obviously, <laughs> that was something to do with Dolus Eventualis saying that if he shot a gun into a closed bathroom where somebody assumed was hiding, they would die in there. In the words of Judge Alan Leach to quote and back up the sentence, although he may have been anxious, it is inconceivable that a rational person could have believed he was entitled to fire at this person with a heavy caliber firearm without taking even that most elementary precaution of firing a warning shot, which the accused said he elected not to fire as he thought the ricochet might harm him. And according to the judgment, the person who Pistorius thought was in the cubicle had nothing to do with the results of his actions. So the culpable homicide verdict was replaced with a murder conviction, and the case was referred back to the trial court for sentencing when it was reconvened on April 18, 2016. According to the judgment, the per- the person who Pistorius thought was in the cubicle had nothing to do with the result of his yeah, actions. Yeah, you fucking dirt. On December 8, 2015, it was announced that Pistorius would continue to remain free on bail, but under house arrest pending his appeal to the Constitutional Court. On March 3, 2016, four months later, it was announced that Pistorius had been denied his right to appeal and would next be due in court on June 13, 2016, to begin five-day sentencing hearing for the murder conviction, concluding on June 17. So, on June 15th, the sentencing was adjourned by Judge Masipa until July 6, 2016. During the sentencing for murder, the trial judge cited mitigating circumstances for lesser punishment, saying that Pistorius was genuinely remorseful and a good candidate yeah, for rehabilitation. Yeah, my asshole was also genuinely remorseful. Some shits, some shits I've taken. <laughs> That's bullshit. That's so stupid. First of all, can that really be a real reason? That people <laughs> say that they're upset and sad. Like, bitch, shut up. <laughs> You're not. What? <laughs> that is bullshit. That's what it is. It's just bullshit, honestly. That's all it is. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. On December 8, 2015, it was announced that Pistorius would continue to remain free on bail but under house arrest pending his appeal to the Constitutional Court. On March 3, 2016, it was announced that Pistorius would be denied right to appeal and would be next due to appear in court on June, thir- th- sorry, June 13, 2016 to begin a five-day sentencing. And on June 15, the sentencing was adjourned by Judge Masipa until July 6, because his sentencing for murder, the, child, the trial judge mitigating circumstances became a factor and considered lesser punishment 
saying Pistorius was genuinely remorseful and a good candidate for relocation. Fuck him. Now, mindful of this, this was all very publicly broadcast on television. We could see this on ESPN, on news networks around the world. Everybody was showing this trial because it was obviously a major Olympic athlete and somebody that people had renowned for a while. But the minimum sentence, actually, for murder is 15 years in South Africa, and individual judges can actually lower the sentence if there's substantial and compelling evidence to do so. But in this case, they found that Oscar Pistorius, despite his celebrity, uh, was a fallen hero who will never be at peace and sentenced him to six years in prison after all that. So he upped his sentence from five to six years after all of that. Now, this second prison term on July 6, 2016, uh, was actually, rather than the culpable homicide, uh, was beginning at a new jail at the Kagosi Mampru II jail. So he was in a maximum security facility, and it was anticipated that he would be eligible for release on parole after the three years. Uh, but, again, that was something in a more secure facility. He was less paroled after three years instead of just one year. So it was actually after only a few months in jail that he was treated for sustaining minor injuries to his wrists after slipping, quote-unquote, in his cell. So we don't necessarily believe that. We think he may have attempted suicide. Uh, but who's to say for certain one way or the other? And in July of that same year, 2016, they confirmed that he was shockingly... I'm sorry. In July of that year, the National Prosecuting Authority confirmed that they would appeal the ruling of Judge Masiba based on the shockingly lenient six-year sentence. Which is what we're talking about. We haven't heard of that before where there's an appeal to the sentence. Like, normally the appeal to the sentence is getting it to go down. I've never really heard of it where the appeal is to get the sentence to go up. And to at least up. not that has been publicized in the in the realm that it happened. Right. I've never heard of that, to be honest with you. So the appeal hearing took place on August 26, 2016. Shout out to Abe Wagner if you're listening. This is your birthday, brother. What up, what up, what up, brother? What, what up, family? And the bid to appeal the sentence was rejected by the judge who said that the NPA had no reasonable prospect of success by securing a longer prison sentence for Pistorius. The NPA were then given three weeks to take their appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeals, South Africa. And on September 15th of 2016, it was confirmed that the NPA would make a fresh bid to extend Pistorius' jail sentence and would file papers to the SCA on the 16th. So after this announcement, sources associated with Pistorius' family and the defense team accused Jerry Nell and the NPA of pursuing a personal vendetta against Pistorius, which is, yeah, honestly a little ridiculous based on his celebrity and who he was as a person, a figure of South Africa. And Pistorius was briefly actually released from prison in October through a compassionate leave license to attend the funeral service of his grandmother who had died that that week. And then actually was transferred back to the maximum security Kagosi Mompru facility in Adderidgeville Correctional Center. Uh, and he was transferred, I'm sorry, from the maximum security facility to Adderidgeville Correctional Center, which was a little smaller and better adapted for disabled prisoners like himself. 
And it had better facilities for inmates, such as bathtubs and cells. And Which I think is just, like, a weird situation. Because it's like, yeah, he should be able to be able to, like, live in prison as a disabled individual. But, like, at the end of the day, bathtubs? Yeah, and he killed someone, right? So we have to wonder how much treatment he received as a celebrity in that. But at the same time, it's also like, you know, he was disabled, so can we give him less because of that and put him in worse facilities because of that? Yeah. So on September 19th of 2017, it was confirmed that the SCA would hear the state's arguments appealing to extend Pistorius' sentence to November 3rd, 2017, when their final ruling began confirmed on November 24th. So on that date, the South African court increased his jail sentence to 13 years and five months. Because prosecutors had argued that the six-year sentence was too short and that the Supreme Court of Appeal had increased the sentence because it was already with six years' time served and he would be experiencing relatively low maximum security conditions in a jail that was not the same as the Kagosi Mampuru prison and Adderidgeville was considered to be less of a secure facility. So he actually was experiencing pretty decent treatment in there, from what we understand. Uh, and the sentence was increased, but not in a maximum security facility. So I honestly think it was a decent trade off for him, but yeah. at the same time, more time in jail. So it's one of those things, it's like they upped his prison, like the standards of his prison, but they upped his sentence as well. Right. So it's like they. Like, they put the king in his castle type of thing, you know? Right, exactly. So, like, I want, like, if, if he killed someone in my family, I don't want him to rot in the shittiest of shit. Right. Not be treated like a king and with bathtubs and shit. Right, exactly, yeah. So he received pretty good treatment despite having committed murder and been sentenced to that. Yeah. So, Supreme Court Justice Willie Cerriti said that Pistorius failed to explain in court the hearings why he fired the fatal shots and does not appreciate the gravity of his actions, quote-unquote. He also said that the sentence of six years imprisonment is shockingly lenient to a point where it has the effect of trivializing this serious offense. So that kind of says exactly what they were thinking, that it basically didn't give much weight to the fact that he had taken a life. So he is now not eligible for parole until 2023. And, like, even if you think about it, he took a life so recklessly. It's like he didn't even check. According to, like, if his story is true, he didn't do the due diligence to check if she was there. And I think it's ironic that Reva Steinkamp and her um, mom were really big advocates of domestic abuse. She... And her mom were passionate lifetime advocates of women suffering from violence and abuse. And in South Africa, like we mentioned before, the two-year period from 2011 to 2012, there were were 64,500 reported rapes, one every four minutes, which is the highest occurrence in the world, according to the U.S. That's astounding. That is astounding. And you have to think... Oscar, yeah, his sentence like keeps going up, and that seems kind of bizarre. Like you would think they would try to throw him the book at first, but maybe that's kind of smart for his attorneys because life 
I don't think people would have gone for it because I don't think people thought he deserved that. I don't really. Yeah, I don't think it was ever warranted that he would deserve life in prison. But I do think people would have assumed he would have gotten more than five years. So it's weird that they like went low than high because normally it's like you shoot for the stars and it kind of comes down. And it comes down, exactly. Well, on December 19th of 2017, he actually did file papers with the Constitutional Court of South Africa to appeal the newly increased sentence and have that previous six-year sentence reinstated. And we haven't seen any media coverage since then, so that was just a year ago. Yeah, that was very limited, but it does show that, I mean... No, no, that wasn't a year ago. That was like fucking a couple months ago. Yeah, a couple months ago, really. I mean, it was last year that this all kind of came to fruition, but it's now just recent that he's a pot. Yeah, only a few months ago. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll probably have some updates. It's, It's bizarre because it's like normally, like we said, um... People are sentenced to like extremes, like twenty five years to life, and then get out in fifteen. Like that's normal. We see not people are sentenced to five, and then they get thirty. Like that's right. more bizarre, especially when the inmate is not someone who committed other offenses. It's literally he's only in jail for this one offense. He hasn't committed any crimes within jail. Hasn't had any troubles within jail. So that's a little peculiar that we're seeing that like um, ascend as opposed to a decent. Because normally you see like okay, you're a model prisoner. He gave you five years, we're going to release it in two, which right. I wouldn't agree with in this case, but so, that's normally what you see. Quick recap of the timeline. He was sentenced to five years, potentially released in two. That was increased to six years, potentially released in three. That was increased to a murder charge from culpable homicide to 15 years in prison with potential release after, I don't know. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to figure he's out. trying to reduce it now to six again, his original sentence. Or, no, I'm sorry, not original sentence. So it's, it's kind of like he's playing ping pong with the justice Yeah, system. this has gone back and forth several times now. We're on, a, we're on a different level. Like I said, I don't know. Maybe I'm not that educated in the, in the sentencing. South African sentencing. I don't know how it works Because it's like that. I've never seen that where someone, like, continues to get sentences added on if they haven't been nuisance in prison like if like right. there's no reports of him being an asshole in prison because that would add on to your sentence However, that's typically what you get added to yeah. your prison time for something that you've done after the fact however it seems like he is literally getting time added on for the crime that he was originally convicted of right very confusing so eye for an eye Matt <laughs> Oscar eye for an eye originally no Second time around, yeah, I think 15 years is a reasonable sentence. I think maybe even more would have been reasonable, so... My question to you... I'd say yes, because... It's more like, do you think it was intentional, or do you really think he believed that there was something... So... Or do you think he's so hyped up on, like, drugs... No, I I, I personally believe he should have gotten 15 years for murder, because he absolutely knew it was his girlfriend, and he was jealous, and he was enraged. Like, why wouldn't it be, like, 25 to life type of sentence? It could have been. I don't know. I mean... Well, was that what you would have chose other than? 15 to life is second degree murder is typically what the sentence is. And we live in Pennsylvania, so that's just what I'm assuming from our laws, our yeah. sentencing guidelines based on what we have currently. But I would say that 15 to 20 to life would have been reasonable to me because I think he intended to commit murder. I think he fired the gun into that bathroom stall knowing she was knowing full well who was in there and thinking that it was revenge anger a little bit of jealousy call it whatever you want he wanted to kill his girlfriend that night i don't think it was ever about oh i thought there was an intruder bullshit 
why didn't you reach over? The first thing I would do would be check who's sleeping next to me and make sure she's okay. That's your thing. Like, if you hear a noise, I grab my dog. Like, I'm like... I'm grabbing who's next to me and making sure if there's no one next to me, I'm running and grabbing my weapon. Second. (laughs) Yeah, it, it just isn't... So, it's weird to me that he broke down the door, presumably to get her out of there, right? So, like, he realized, in quotes, that she was in there, broke down the door, got her out, tried to resuscitate her, which I believe that happened. I believe that, But I don't know if I believe if it was just a show because he knew how it was going to play out. I fully believe he killed her and then did that. Do you think it was over, like, the texting thing? Like, that kind of... Maybe. I think there was obviously a lot of contention in their relationship. Based on the forensic, because there's a good video on YouTube, which, like I said, I'll link in the notes. It's really interesting to watch because it's forensic investigators kind of going over the trajectory of the bullets and where she was and where he would have been. And she was cowering. It looked like she was yeah. cowering. From what you can see. And so see. she wasn't just, like, taking a shit on the toilet, like, texting someone. No. She was on the floor. Hiding. And then they say they think the force... Forced... The first bullet wound was through her hip, so it made her unable to get up. Or if she was on the toilet, which could have been an issue, um, the first one hit her hip, fell off the toilet, she couldn't stand back up because her hip was broken. So it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of really interesting because when you look at the forensic evidence, it's kind of like his story doesn't match, obviously, but what narrative does? It's like, okay, so, yeah, they were fighting. Yeah, he was a little bit unhinged. Maybe he thought someone texted her, but what other reasons could there have been? Was he just like over it, or did he really think there was? Did he was he really so like doped up on caffeine and everything else that he thought he really was paranoid? Because like we talked about in Byron's case, paranoia it sets in. It really does. And if you're if you're deprived of sleep, if you're changing your diet up so significantly where it's changing your mentality, that could really he could have really convinced himself. There was someone in his house, even though logic would have told him otherwise. Because right. you know what I mean? Because it sounded like he was doped up, not on like actual steroids or anything else, but it sounded like he was taking a lot of caffeine. It was just a, you know, it was a thing. I don't know. I, as far as punishment fits the crime for eye for eye, for me, I don't think it obviously meant the crime. Um, I don't know. I just wish we could like, suck like truth serum into these people. I want to know what happened because like if he was genuinely afraid, right? Like Byron, like if we believe Byron was genuinely afraid, would his actions make sense? Yes. Yes, you want to fucking, I, listen, I'm not going to, if I'm getting like if in Byron's case, home invaded. Right. I'm going to shoot too. until the person's dead. I don't fucking care. I'm not going to think in that moment, I'm going to shoot them in the kneecaps and they'll be incapacitated. They're going to check them. Right. No, no, my ass is going to be That's why I don't own a gun. Yeah. Because I'm like, I would fucking shoot until whatever I saw was gone. Right. I wouldn't think like, I'm going to shoot them in the kneecaps. Now you'll be incapacitated. Then I can check them. Then I can tell them, you know, what's up. Or I can get them to a hospital or whatever. No, I'm going to fucking freak I'm out gonna and shoot. shoot. Right. So if he really believed that someone was in his bathroom, which doesn't make sense based on the evidence, but if that's what his brain was telling him, that's another story. I don't believe that's what his brain was telling him. I think he was saving his ass. I think he's smarter than we're, than people are taking him for, and he really did plan it out. Um, but as far as I, for an eye, I don't know, murder for me, 25 to life makes more sense than 15 to life, but I understand the second degree versus first degree. So first sentence, absolutely not. He killed someone. Regardless if it was just being an idiot. But, like, and then you're, I don't fucking know. 
don't know. Kills me. I don't think punishment for the crime to me. I don't. I know. But I think it is interesting to note that his sentence keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up. And I think that is kind of just. I think it's we're reviewing the justice system and sentence, sentencing accordingly. So I think that's amazing. So that wraps up our episode, our episode on Oscar, our Valentine's Day episode. We're both a little tipsy. <laughs> we drank a lot of wine for this one because it's really been We hope you liked it, though. Yeah, no. I mean, this case is really interesting because it's one of those few cases where the sentencings went up without any provocation. Um, so we thank you so much for listening in. Sorry, this one is, you know, it's been a long episode. We've been here for a while now, drinking some wine, getting a little excited. Um, this case is definitely one of the ones that really would get people talking because it's, it's interesting. Can people go in and make sentences worse with no other crime on their record? Is that fair? Is that something, you know, we, we, we can't do the double jeopardy, so it's interesting to note that they can go in and make your sentence higher on appeals. Normally you hear appeals as they're making things lesser or the family's fighting for more, but it's never really something that you see go through, which is interesting in this case. I wanted to shout out real quick before we end this podcast. I Got the Hell Out, which is a podcast that we love and adore. Um, it's a Pittsburgh-based podcast just like us, so we're very close with them. We're actually meeting with them here soon to do a crossover episode because it's podcast-supporting podcasts. We're so willing and excited to do any crossover episodes, so we think it would be really cool. Their podcast is all about... Um, so it's it's two girls, and it's with a woman who interviews... Another woman who's her friend who spent 10 years in a Old Testament polygamist doomsday cult. So it's going to be really interesting, interesting what we cook up with them. If you haven't listened to their podcast before, highly suggest checking it out. I highly suggest checking out California Dreaming Podcast. That is an amazing podcast. It's all about crimes within California and that have to do with California. Very interesting because... It's, it's interesting to note how many crimes have taken place in those areas because I don't think that's always known. Um, big shout out to Roseanne. We're so happy that you are connecting with us. We'd love to do a crossover episode with you too if we can. We have some crossover episodes coming up. Great news coming forward. Keep a lookout for those on all of our pages. Eye for eye pods everywhere. Muffins. We love y'all. We shouting out you, everybody. Yes. Where are you listening? Muffins, please message us so we can get connected with you because we can't figure out how to do it otherwise. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us on this longest episode. Let us know what you think. We love you. Review, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your fam. Let's get this conversation started. We love you. Good night. Love you. my hand out on the bed and I'd try to lift myself up whilst talking to Reva. No one responded to me. At that point, I lifted myself up onto the bed and I placed my hand back to the right-hand side of the bed and I looked. Um, I, I felt if Reva was there and I couldn't feel anything, the first thing I thought was maybe that she got down onto the floor. Like I told her to, maybe she was just scared. I can't remember what I said, but I was, I was trying to talk out to her, and I kept my firearm. The whole time I moved along the bed, I think it was at, um, at that point, my lady, that, uh, that it first um, dawned upon me that it could be Reva that was in the, 
in the bathroom or in the toilet. I jumped out off the other side of the bed and I ran my hand along the curtains to see that she wasn't hiding behind the curtain. I felt around and made my way back up the passage. I still had my firearm in front of me. At this point I was mixed with emotions. I didn't know if... I didn't want to believe that it could be Reva inside the toilet. I was still scared that maybe somebody was coming in to attack me or us. I made my way back to inside the inside the bathroom and I walked up to the up to the bathroom door. I tried to grab the handle and rip open the door, push the door open and it was locked. For the first time I turned around uh, with my back facing the bathroom. I ran back to the room and I opened the curtains. I shouted from the balcony, I opened the doors and I shouted from the balcony for help. Scream help, help, help. I screamed for somebody to help me. And then um, I, put my prosthetic, I put my prosthetic legs on. I ran as fast as I could back to the bathroom. I ran into the door. It didn't move at all. I leaned back and I tried to kick the door. And nothing happened. I was, I was just panicked at this point. I didn't really know what to make or what to do. Um, I ran back to the bedroom where the cricket bat was between the cabinet and the door. Were you screaming yeah. at that stage? I, I was screaming and shouting the whole time, crying out. I was. I don't think I've ever screamed like that or cried like that or screamed or. I was crying out for the Lord to help me. I was crying out for Riva. I was screaming. I didn't know what to do. I ran back to, ran straight back to the bathroom door. I placed my fire. I don't remember, but I must have placed my firearm on the carpet in the bathroom. I ran straight up to the door and I started uh, hitting it. So I, I don't. Um, I think I hit it three times. Uh, the first time I hit the tire, I remember hitting, um, I hit the frame of the door and the shock in my hands, I, so I swung again and it hit a small piece open and at that point all I wanted to do was just look inside to see if it was river. and then I then hit the door, um, I think I hit the door three times and there was a big uh, plank, I grabbed it with my hands and I threw it out into the bathroom. I leant over the middle partition. I tried to open the door from the inside, but there was no key in the door. And I leant over the middle partition of the door and I saw the key was on the floor at that point. All I wanted to do was just climb into the toilet over the middle part of the door. I, um, Whilst I leant over the partition to get in, I saw the key, so I took it and I unlocked the door and I flung the door open and I threw it open. And I sat over Reva and I cried. And um, I don't know, I don't know how long... <coughs> I don't know how long I was there for. <laughs> she wasn't breathing. Take an agenda. 
We out here drunk, making your podcast dreams come true. Drink far too much for podcast. Did it change your face? No. Get closer. <laughs> drink for podcast. Drink every time Lisa say like I'm the now. We've been drinking since fucking noon. <laughs> Portland. Happy Valentine Day from my single chicken wing to your second thing. <laughs> we're gonna lose listeners. Stop it. We're just fucking delinquents. Alright, let's record. Rebel <laughs> mini posting coming to the cruise. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.